Hey everybody, welcome to Bedside Matters, the podcast that addresses the medical issues that impact all of us every single day. And hopefully we'll give you the answers you're looking for so you can be more informed and healthier. I'm joined with by Dr. Kipper, of course. Hi, Dr. Kipper. Hello, Peter. Hello, everyone. And Anna Pacino. Oh, hi. How you doing? I'm, <laughs> I'm Peter Tubman. And on today's episode, we'll discuss long COVID and exactly what that is. Because I said to my wife, I have long COVID. She went like this. No, you know. Also, a lot of talk about migraines in the news and what they're caused by and maybe a new medication there, plus robots for not only surgery, but to assist in hospitals. Uh, Dr. Kipper had a, I guess, run-in with a robot. We'll talk about that. Also in Singapore, they've now started using robots to catch elderly people because they're saying in elderly people, the number one cause of death and injury are falls. Uh, and in her Hey, What About Me segment, we'll be taking a question from you, one of our listeners. So welcome, everybody. David, everybody good? Great. Wow, that was a long, wow. You had to really process. See what David does as a doctor? David runs through a whole checklist before he answers. Like, we should do that too. That's right. How are you? And he actually thinks about it and goes, prostate, head, heart. He's, yeah, he's checking it with all his He's actually, in a, he mm, does his great. show, people don't know if you could see it, from an MRI machine. So when I say, how are you? <laughs> he actually is checking every system as go. So, you know, we don't take anything from granted here. So long COVID. I said to my wife after I had COVID, God, I'm still feeling kind of tired and a little depressed. And she goes, yeah, you don't have it. What is long COVID and, and how do you know if you have it? Because no one's talking about it. They're saying that in our um, society right now, almost 11 people have dropped out of the system. You know, they keep leaving their job, et cetera. Hold on, 11 million 11 people. million people. Yeah. Yeah, you said 11 people. Oh, no, 11. <laughs> you don't want to say that one again. 11 people have 11 people quit their job. I'm sorry. 11 million people are involved in the Great Resignation. And looking at stats, medical stats, they're saying two to four million of those people could actually be not disenchanted with their jobs, but dealing with long COVID and they can't get it together to show up. Yeah, sick. Well, so what do you, how do we address that, David? Long COVID is an extension of symptoms beyond four weeks of having your initial illness. And it can happen from mild to severe courses of the illness. Probably 20% of people are vulnerable to long COVID. And it manifests in several different ways. And the most common things that we see are night sweats, fatigue. Fatigue is probably the most common. But we see chest pain, shortness of breath, loss of smell and taste, dizziness. There are so many different symptoms that can happen. And they happen because of basically a few different reasons. One is that there's an inflammatory reaction from the virus. There's a, a hyper-accelerated immune response, which creates more inflammation. We can get blood vessel problems, blood clots, so the vasculature doesn't work as well. And there's some theory now that we're reactivating some other viruses that we may have in our system. So there's a, a, an interesting statistic that over 50%, almost as high as 80% of people that have long COVID also test positive for Epstein-Barr, which is another virus. So it may be activating other viruses that in, in and of themselves have these symptoms. And how do you treat it? How do, if, if I come to you and it's been three months, I'm saying, David, I'm incapacitated, I can't get to work. Is there any hope for that? It's very difficult to treat because the physiology of what creates this is very hard to amend. So 
what you do is you support people. You give them physical therapy, emotional therapy. There are medications that we use, but these medications generally are these antidepressants and anti-anxiety medicines, pain medicines. So it's very difficult to treat. There are several clinics that have come up throughout the past year to deal with this. None of them are particularly effective. And again, if you have underlying issues, if you go into COVID with a history of depression, anxiety, or other chronic illnesses, they aggravate these illnesses. So it becomes a nightmare pretty much for these people. And uh, they really ultimately just have to acclimate. Years ago, I uh, was working with a functional medicine doctor and I went in, thought I had a flu and then tested negative for the flu. And it, but it felt just like the time I tested positive for influenza B. And then she had a theory. She's like, let's test you for your active viral load. And I don't remember what test it was. And even what it's, whatever it was, it came back. It said very high Epstein bar. And I thought to myself, oh, that's interesting. I wonder if I'm having some sort of like viral flare up, having autoimmune. Sometimes you just have weird things happen, right? And so I, I thought to myself, I wonder sometimes if, if um, when I've been really sick, if it has been a viral flare-up. So I was just wondering, is there a way to test to see like what you are having? Or is, is it just like you just have to kind of deal with the punches as they come? Very difficult, Anna. We have tests for antibodies to these uh, viruses and, and other conditions. But once you reach a certain threshold with these viruses and the, these illnesses, the blood testing is really not that sensitive. So we diagnosis clinically. So if your symptoms are consistent with what you get with an Epstein-Barr illness or now with COVID, we just make that association. And David, before we leave long COVID, if you have long COVID, are you more compromised and can get COVID again? Or is your, auto, is your immune system built up? Is it the That's opposite? That's a great question. You can get COVID again. So people with long COVID should get revaccinated, boosted, there was one theory that if you gave people with long COVID an additional vaccine, because perhaps you had lingering virus, mm -hmm. and the virus does stay in your system. The virus hides out in your GI tract. It hides out in your lungs. We don't know how active it is. But there was a period of time where we were revaccinating these people, but it didn't seem to do much. So moving on. We are going to talk about migraines, and Doc, I wanted to ask you, are there any new developments with migraine research, with medicines, with anything? I personally have only had a couple migraines in my life, and having celiac disease, if you go to celiac.org, it lists migraines as one of the top symptoms, but I also feel like migraine could be a symptom for any number of things. However, that's, so I had a migraine recently, and I thought to myself, we need to talk about this on the show, because I never wanted to jump out of my body more than when I had that migraine. So there's another game changer for migraine headaches, and this is a very different approach to treatment. It turns out that there are pathways in the brain that produce pain. There are blood vessels that travel along those pathways, and there's a protein in those blood vessels that has been identified, and now there are monoclonal antibodies that can attack that protein and stop the migraine before it even happens. Or if you're in an attack, it can shut it down. Previously, how do you what ask we did for that? Was, well, <laughs> there's several products now on the market. There's, there's four at least, and I can give you their names. I have no relationship with these drug companies, but there's Nurtec, 
ubrevli, there's agavi, and there's emgality. These are the common ones that we use. They're all the same. They work the same. They are what we call calcitonin gene-related protein, the CGRP monoclonal antibody. And they're brilliant. And if you take these on a preventative level, you're going to tremendously reduce the amount of headaches that you've had. They work with cluster headaches. And if you take these in an acute attack, within a couple hours, those headaches start to... Any downside, David, or negative to that? There are some adverse symptoms, nausea being the most common, but people that are in a migraine episode tend to be nauseous anyway. I was going to say, you're already nauseous. I thought I was going to throw up several times. You get them a lot, and is that, is that a thing for you, migraine? For me, no. This is only the second one I've had in my life, and so that's why I, you know, I had all those other symptoms of celiac, but I never had migraine, so I was like, oh, I'm lucky, I'm fine, I'm doing it. And then you have one, and you're like, oh, that's serious. I can't believe people suffer with this again and again throughout the year. Is that genetic, David? Because I never had a migraine, but my mother used to, unless she was lying, used to lock herself in the bedroom and say, I can't come out today because I have a migraine. Now, that could have been that she didn't want to be with me. But I'm curious, is it? Is or she didn't want to be with your father oh, sexually. Oh, That's probably re- what. Now I got to relook oh, at my. By the way, if you say no, it's not tonight. genetic. Then I gotta. Then I gotta. <laughs> there is Wait. a genetic component to okay. these, absolutely. But there's also an interesting association in women during their menstrual period or during their ovulation, when these estrogen levels change. Estrogen has a direct effect on blood vessel spasming. And now, when we talk about these blood vessels in the brain. This is probably where this is coming from. So by identifying this protein and knocking it out with the monoclonal antibody, you now have a good treatment for this. Can't catch a break. Well, thank you, Doc. I wish I had known this information last week when I was having the migraine, but now I know. I don't know. Is this the same stuff that the Kardashians talk about? One of the Kardashians is doing a thing. Yes, actually. I think they promote the Nurtec. But there are several of these products. They're very expensive, by the way. Oh. The good news in that is that because these drug companies are all competing with each other, most of them will give you coupons for a year that will reduce the cost significantly. And then after that year, you're on your own. So. Uh, breaking medical news, and this just happened, robots. So I mentioned to David as we were preparing for the show, I saw a story in Singapore you keep hearing elderly people fall and that's one of the leading causes of death and injury in elderly people they've developed a robot that follows you around and it's like attached to you it's bizarre but it can sense if you're going to fall and it can help you stay erect it can also help you walk help you sit and stand up and when i brought it up to david david said well at the hospital where i work they're using robots now consistently and you ran you had a run-in with a robot right david i got off the elevator at Cedars, this is a hospital that I use, and the elevator door opens, and I look to my right, and there's a robot. And the robot, if you've not seen these, uh, actually has eyes that are painted on. It's not really <laughs> human looking, but there's enough in there. And my first thought was, I want to take a picture of this. So I pulled my phone out, and I actually had this ridiculous thought that, oh, my God, what if I'm going to offend the robot? And then I realized how stupid I was. And I did take a picture. I took a video of this. And when I started my video, the robot started to move, which made me again feel like an idiot because I thought I offended the robot. The robot passes me by, goes about 20 feet, 
and it hits a hallway and it has to turn either right or left. It turns to the left. And as it's turning into this hallway, there's some guy in a hospital gown and he's holding onto his IV pole. And he is as startled as I was. And he stops dead in his tracks to let the robot go first. So the, he, he didn't, he was as bemused as I was. Are they not warning patients that they might see a robot? No, okay. evidently not. Cool. But Peter, to your point, they do a lot of different things. They, they help the nurses. You know, there's a huge issue with nurse burnout because of all the things they had to do. So these robots actually can interface with patients. They can raise their arms. They can help lift heavy people out of bed. They can disinfect rooms because they are equipped with these ultraviolet lights that can disinfect rooms so they can carry things around. The amazing thing at Cedars, what I saw was that 30% of what nurses do is fetch medicines and go get stuff, retrieving stuff, et cetera. So a robot that can do 30% of their work frees them up, like you said, David, so they're not as stressed. And the other... Side effect was because, and hopefully you'll, you'll find the video so we can put it up, link on our site, because you got to see David responding to the robot. But they also, because they kind of have a happy face, even though they're robots, your reaction to it as almost sentient and real, you know, says that people are happy when they see them, that, they're, they're, that it changes attitude. And the hospitals, you know, Norman Cousins healing with laughter, anything that can kind of break that terrified feeling that people have in hospitals, that negative feeling is a plus, I'm guessing. So the plus is they make people feel happier. They do. And speaking, by the way, speaking of the nurses, the nurses can, with a text messaging to these robots, summon them, tell them what they need. And the robots have a GPS system in. So they know how to find the stuff and they know how to get to the nurses. And to your other point, Peter, there's a robot in Japan named Erica that they have taught to respond by laughing to a joke. Wow. So they're trying to figure out a way now to put empathy into these robots. And to me, that's a pretty interesting nuance. Well, it's funny how people who use Alexis, and I don't use it this way, say thank you. And you forget you forget after a while that, and, and especially in elder people or lonely people, having some kind of connection to the outside world that way, I, that robot, when you see the face, you know it's a robot, etc. But there is something about it that makes you smile, like you, you did. Dave, we're laughing right now, and makes it feel human. As just one aside, it's not a medical story though. Just the other day, I laughed out loud because you don't think of this with robots. I saw my first robot on the street, a delivery robot, and it's startling. But there was a story yesterday that a robot approached a crime scene because you don't think about this. Robot doesn't know with the yellow tape, etc. And the guy lifted the tape, and the robot is going through. There's police, they're looking at where the guy fell, the bullets. Robot is just going right through the crime crime scene. It doesn't know. He's rolling through the blood puddle. There you go. No, yeah, no. Hey. Can you see the tracks? Just did it let Careful, out. Careful, robot. Oh, he just compromised CSI this. But I'd never seen one out in public. It blew my mind seeing it going down the sidewalk. And I did laugh. It is, there is something funny and odd that that's uh, where we're going. Is there a part of you that thinks you're on, on candid camera? Like, there's a part of me that would be like, you're laughing because you're like, am I being punked right yeah, now? Yeah, this like, can't this be real. Thing is, can't be real. This can't be real. So, but it is. let's take a call now. It's time for our Hey, What About Me segment. And we encourage you to go to the website and, and ask your question. And hopefully we'll get to you and hopefully we'll get to as many of you as possible over the course of the podcast. This is Sarah. Hi, Dr. Kipper. Uh, I was diagnosed with HSV2 or genital herpes a couple years ago. 
I had one terrible outbreak initially. After that, I feared that I had a couple outbreaks, but nothing as bad as the first one. And also, I didn't know if maybe it was just a spot that was irritated or if it was an actual herpes outbreak. When I asked my gynecologist about it, she said that when you have outbreaks, you have them in the exact same spot every time and then walked out before I could ask her anything else. So is this true? And does that mean that I've only had one outbreak? Thank you. So first of all, the take-home message here is don't ask your doctor about herpes. They're going to leave the room. They're not going to want anything to do with you. (laughs) The first outbreak is the worst, always the worst. And the herpes virus lives in a nerve root in exactly one place. So recurrent episodes do come back in the same place. They tend not to come back as bad. And they can be aggravated by physical touching. They can be aggravated by stress. Sexually transmitted herpes, herpes type 2, are aggravated by sexual activity. There's a herpes type 1, which is aggravated just by stress and sunlight. And they appear on the skin, whereas the sexually transmitted herpes come out onto mucous membranes. So that we see in the genital area. There's treatment for these. There are antivirals uh, that if you take the antiviral immediately when you get the first symptoms of an outbreak, it will suppress the, the replication of the virus and it will abort the outbreak. There are several drugs available to treat this. You should ask your doctor. And if taken appropriately, as I said, with the beginning of, of symptoms, you will abort the outbreak. And those First symptoms tend not to be the rash. They tend to be some tingling in the area. Uh, and those are, you'll get to learn what those are. Uh, and the minute you get those, you start your medication. So if you have a history of herpes and you can get these medications, have them well in advance of your outbreak so that if this should happen to you on a Saturday night or on Christmas Day, You don't have to track down your doctor. You have your medications available. I hope that helped. And you guys, ask some questions. Go to bedsidematters.org and ask some questions. We want to hear from you. I just want to ask one question. How does the herpes know if you're having sexual activity? How does it know? Like doing foreplay, the herpes going, wait a minute, I I think this is happening. Let's come out. There's physical contact, Peter, in that area oh, 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 the, where the nerve root is got holding it. on so to the virus. So the herpes that smart So you're I saying think. for people who are having a lot of sex, they could be getting... You don't get, have to have a lot of sex. Oh. You can have one episode. And it's it's not about frequency. It's it's a combination of, of how much the area is aggravated and doesn't have to be repeated. It can just be one episode. But people can live well with it and regulate it pretty well, David? Yes, this is a totally manageable issue. There you go, Sarah. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us. And by the way, I should mention, the stories that we talked about today will have links on our page. So make sure you go there if you have a question you want to look up or research any of the meds we talked about or Dr. Kipper talked about. Thanks for being with us. Check out our page. Follow us. Tell friends. Tell relatives. And um, hopefully... We address the issues that uh, you're talking about every single day because we try and we try and match the questions for Dr. Kipper with stuff that's that, that's out there in a big way in society right now. So that if you can't get an answer from your doctor, hopefully you can come here and get a, a starting point of where to research and know what to ask your doctor. You know, as 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 we look to Dr. Kipper, always looks to advocate for patients who can't get answers. Anna, and here's the part where I read a disclaimer and thank you for joining us. 
If you have a question for Dr. Kipper, you can go to our website, bedsidematters.org, and leave a voicemail or submit a question. The information on Bedside Matters and the resources available for download are not intended as and should not be understood or construed as medical or health advice. The information on Bedside Matters is not a substitute for medical or health advice from a professional who is aware of the facts and circumstances of your individual situation. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your friends. We'll see you next time.